Welcome to Sitka Tells Tales, a live storytelling event based in Sitka, Alaska. Tonight's theme is Breakthrough, Tales of Sudden Discoveries and New Creations. This event was recorded May 20th in Sitka as part of PorchFest 2023. Welcome to Sitka Tells Tales at PorchFest 2023. I'm your host, Ellen Frankenstein, excited to be here with a live audience on the KCAW stage. We're here in Klingonani, the ancestral homelands of the Klingon people with respect and gratitude for this place and the people who have lived here and told stories since time immemorial. Our theme for this edition of Sitka Tells Tales is Breakthrough, tales of sudden discoveries and new creations. We have six stories featuring wild critters, housing challenges, ghosts, water, and pink underwear. Tales filled with hurdles, fears, realizations, and insights. Tellers for this episode are Jamie Schroeder, Marlene Reiner, Harper Glazer and Jason Smith, Miriam Taylor, Brandon Size, and Riley Whitson. We are so appreciative of the tellers and the Greater Sitka Arts Councils and all the Porch Fest folks and everyone who's made this event possible. Let's welcome our first teller, Jamie Schroeder. Come on down. Jamie moved here last year and as he describes it, does anesthesia at the hospital. Jamie loves the ocean, came here for it. In fact, I recruited him to tell a story on a weekend swim. And he says, if anyone wants to join us at Sandy Beach or the Science Center, they're welcome. Take it away. Thanks, Ellen. So for as long as I can remember, I've been afraid of bears. Um, I think it started when I was a little kid. Some of my favorite movies were Balto or The Fox and the Hound. Where the Red Fern Grows was one of my dad's favorite movies. So they all feature a bear as the villain. And they're always portrayed as these giant, larger-than-life, red-eyed, salivating beasts that have claws that can tear through the trunk of a tree and send whoever they're attacking flying hundreds of feet. And then when I joined Boy Scouts, it got worse because the classic story in Boy Scouts, you're all sitting around the fire and you start telling about the inevitable grizzly bear that's looming out in the woods, just waiting for you to go to sleep. And then it's gonna sneak into your tent at night, grab you by the legs, pull you back to some dark den in the woods and you'll never be seen from again. So it's all pretty irrational. Um, <laughs> but that's how fear works. And the fact that I had never even seen a bear probably made it that much more potent because my imagination could just run wild. So the counterpoint to the fear part of this story is um, my love of dogs. Growing up, my family always had at least one dog. And I remember in high school and then into college, I really started getting the desire to have my own dog. So within a month of graduating college, I moved to Alaska and the first thing I wanted to do was get a dog. So I'll never forget going to Petco on Diamond Avenue one day um, to meet this dog named Echo. She was there as a rescue dog from a group called Alaska Dog and Puppy Rescue. And she had these giant big ears, really skinny, wiry frame, and we just connected right away. So I was there for like four hours and eventually the people from Alaska Dog and Puppy Rescue just said, she's yours, you should take her home tonight. 
Uh, it happened to be my birthday, and it was the best birthday present I think I've ever had before or since. Echo and I had a lot of things in common. We really liked to run. That was our shared love. We both really liked breakfast. Her morning routine is to wait right by my bed. And when I first make any movement, she starts spinning in circles, like so excited. Can be four in the morning, super game for breakfast. And she also has a very healthy fear of bears. It's been several times when we were camping and we'd be sleeping and all of a sudden her ears would perk up and she'd go on full alert and you could see her hackles start to rise like a porcupine quill all along her back. And she'd start quivering just uncontrollably. And bears were the only thing that did that to her. So I knew whether I could see it or not, there was a bear somewhere close by. So I'd grab my bear mace and we'd sit in the tent just like quivering, not sleeping. So she has pretty good bear sense. Um, so this kind of last part of the story took me a little bit by surprise. So we're on a kayaking trip somewhere north of Petersburg. And it was just a perfect Alaska Southeast day, the bluebird skies. We'd found, um, we caught a rockfish, so we came to shore to cook it. And it was a perfect mossy spot to put the tent. There was this beautiful stream that came down. It's like Southeast magic those days. So after eating the rockfish, we took a nap and everyone was asleep and didn't wake up until it was already dusk. So at this point, it's more dark than light. And I don't bother to put my headlamp on. There's some things by the kayak I need to put away before, you know, turning in for the night. So I kind of stumble out of the tent just wearing some fabulous orange underwear and amble over and start putting things in the kayak. And this big alder bush next to me just shakes as I startle this giant bear. So I freak out, scream, dive into the tent. I'm convinced this bear is snapping at my legs and I'm going to be eviscerated and die. And this is how it happens. And something that never happened then occurred, which is Echo bolted out from the tent as I was jumping in. And that was my breakthrough moment. I went from being completely terrified to full of courage. I was so brazen. The fact that my dog was just about to be mauled and attacked by this bear converted all of that fear into this like Viking war cry. And I went charging out of the tent, completely intent on killing this bear or it killing me. It was probably the most courageous I've ever felt in my life. So then reality snaps back in and I noticed this bear uh, sounds a lot like a raccoon. <laughs> and as my eyes are adjusting to the twilight, I hear all the chattering and there's a family of like 10 raccoons bolting every direction and echoes chasing the stragglers out, you know, away from the campsite. So I had a good laugh about that, but the raccoons did get the last laugh since they um, stole one of the dry bags of food and we had to ration for the rest of the trip. So um, the epilogue to that story um, is that a lot has changed since then. Uh, most significantly that Echo passed away last year. And it wasn't from a bear attack, it was from old age. But I think back to that kind of crucial moment um, where time stood still for a moment where I went from being terrified to being so full of courage and all it took was the right thing of love. So I think about that where if you have enough love for something, there's really not enough space for fear. And if you can embrace that and hold on to that, you can make a lot of situations in life quite a bit better. So 
that was my breakthrough moment and thank you for sharing it with me. Thanks, Jamie. Watch out if you swim with me, I will recruit you to tell a story. Next up, Marlene Reinert. And I said your name right. Yes. Good. Marlene is a social worker and an adventure therapist at Sitka Counseling. She came up here seven months ago from Chicago. She grew up and lived most of her life there until she applied to jobs all around the world and landed here in Sitka. Paddling is her passion, and her heart is shaped like a canoe. Hey, y'all. My name's Marlene, and uh, growing up with two funeral directors as parents, uh, ghost stories and believing in ghosts is really easy. My parents have decades and decades of ghost stories from owning and directing funerals and funeral homes. Um, So this is my ghost story. So when I grew up in my childhood home, 15 South Winston, um, I genuinely believed that I had a ghost dog. This dog's name was Fifi. Fifi would play with me. I would think that I saw Fifi's feet along my bed and feel the presence of Fifi loved this dog. This house also was a split level house, so it had four stories, and it had the most terrifying basement that ever existed. And it was a type of basement, is this the ghost? (laughs) It was a type of basement that uh, you would feel someone was watching you, whatever you did down there. I distinctly remember playing as a young kid in the basement and knowing that someone was watching me from behind the slats of the closet. It also had a laundry room that was so dark and so abyss that uh, you would, you, your brain would just play jokes on you. You know something is in that darkness. You know someone is watching you from that laundry room. It had the type of staircase where you'd have to turn off the lights, switch at the bottom of the stairs, and run up as fast as you can because you knew something was going to grab your ankles and pull you back down into the basement. Terrifying. So one Saturday morning, I think I'm home alone. My brothers are probably playing around outside. Um, I go down to the kitchen, and I'm doing arts and crafts on the table. And I feel what I think is some breathing on my legs. So I'm like, oh, cool. Like, Fifi's here, giving me a little bit of a presence. And so put my hands on the table and whip down underneath it, only to see this, like, grotesque mummified, dripping face underneath the table. And I'm a young kid. Book it out of there. I was the most scared I had ever been. Hide in my room until my parents come home later. Never told that story to anyone. We moved out of that house a few years after that. Still carried that story and those experiences with me. In our new house, our neighbors ran an ice rink. And so my dad worked for them part-time as a Zamboni driver. And uh, so he would spend uh, 50 minutes hanging on the side of the rink, and then the last 10 minutes of the hour zamboning the rink so that the next kids could skate on there. And uh, one of the 50-minute stints where he was just waiting, he overhears a woman telling some ghost stories. So my dad, being a funeral director, moseys on over and is like, hmm, this is interesting. I also have all these stories. This woman's telling about how her husband is in the downstairs bathroom, and He'll see their young kid running around while he's shaving his face, and then mom and kid will come home from the grocery store. And then she also told this story about how 
uh, mom was cooking in the kitchen and she's talking with her son in the other room and then dad and son come home from the park. So my dad curiously asks, what house is this? 15 South Winston, my childhood home. I was going to visit my parents that day anyway, so my dad calls me up and he's like, oh my God, Marlene, and just vomiting onto me all these stories. And I'm like, okay, we'll get there soon. So I get there. And now after 16 years of holding that my ghost story in from my childhood home, um, I finally tell my mom and dad. And my dad pauses me when I'm talking about the grotesque man under the table. And he goes, wait a second, what did this man look like? And so I explain it again, kind of a mummified face, dripping, very scary. And he goes, I think that same man woke me up from a sleep once. So artistic skills aside, we both feverishly start drawing this, this scary image and they were pretty much the same. So we look, we look at each other, we look at my mom, we look at each other. My mom does a few researches on the home and we find out that an old man had lived in the home prior to us living there and he had a bunch of poodles as dogs and all of the poodles and he had died in that home before we moved in. So had my dad not been a Zamboni driver and overheard this woman telling stories about it, we would have never had that breakthrough moment of, of having this shared connection together. Um, and that story would probably still be within me silent. Thank you. <laughs> now, I want to give another clap to Marlene because she ended up in Sitka, right? Yeah, she was looking for all now, when someone tells you, we do these rehearsals that are, that are wait, both her parents were funeral, funeral directors and her father also drove a Zamboni. You can't, like, you're like, I got very excited. Along with Jamie's multicolor un underwear. Okay, so our next storytellers, we have a duo, Harper Glazer and Jason Smith. Come on down. Okay. Harper works as a transitional housing manager at the Sitka Tribe of Alaska. She loves forging cats and her friends. Not forging cats. Forging <laughs> and cats. Sorry, I speak too fast. Foraging and cats. Okay, J Jason loves rocks and cats. He loves rocks and cats, right? She studied geology at Carleton College and moved here after finishing her degree. She works at Clinkett and Haida and is working on a project about extreme precipitation and the impacts on communities in Southeast. I get that? Okay. We're gonna start from the beginning. Hi Jason, it's Harper. Have you been looking for places to live in Sitka? Hi Harper, I've been looking but not with much luck. Where are you at? in the housing scramble. We've been looking for months. <laughs> I'm definitely having some difficulty finding housing, but I'm hoping something will turn up. I'll let you know if I have any leads. Okay, yeah, me too. So that text exchange was back in like April 2021. We had never met. No, we never met, and um, we were both moving up to Sitka with no friends, didn't, we weren't JVs, we weren't AmeriCorps, both found jobs independent of everything. And we both had one mutual acquaintance. Which we also never met. She was about to give birth, uh, and so she said, I've got a lot going on right now, you're both moving to Sitka, why don't you talk to each other? And I'm gonna peace out <laughs> and give birth. And 
So yeah, then that's when we talked to each other. And I came up a month before Jason. And it's really scary to be in a place with no friends. And I like having friends. So I went to queer karaoke. And I was like, hi, my name's Harper. I don't have any friends. And I would like to have some friends. Anyway, here's Wonderwall. Um, but it wasn't. It was Dreams by Fleetwood Mac. And then, um, and then I got the friends secured. So Harper texts me. I'm on my way to Sitka. She says, uh, I have a place uh, where we can sleep in a closed-down church with rooms for rent. And the friends are secured. So I show up on the 4th of July, and we go to this beautiful fire with uh, guitars and music and a bunch of people who are interesting and fun to talk to. And it's just a wonderful arrival. I only last about two weeks in the church. So Harper and I <laughs> pick up some housing gigs. Yeah, house sitting after house sitting. Um, we stayed in the same bed for about three months together after just meeting each other. Which is a great way to get to know someone. <laughs> um, yeah, I think now would be a good time to pause and let people know that Jason and I are very different people, or at least we were when we met. I grew up on the West Coast, and uh, Harper's a New York City Jew. And um, I'm a, an Aquarius, and Jason <laughs> is a, an Aries Taurus cusp, and she will climb Mount Verstovia anytime, <laughs> 9 p.m., I'm going up. I will not do that. But it's important to go with friends into the forest together. Yeah. Especially Strength when they're bears. Numbers. Yeah. We all know that. <laughs> so we go on a hike. Yeah. On this hike, I had to poop really bad. And so <laughs> I pooped in the forest for the first time. And Jason was there for that. And it's something we'll bond over forever. And that's something that we share. Yeah. That too. Uh, Harper and I have lived here for two years now, um, and we've had a lot of really amazing experiences together. I've gotten to know this place through things we've done together, and a lot of people that we've met through each other, too. Um, I also, last uh, a year after being here, I, I had no interest in cats. It's interesting, it's, it was in both of our intros. I adopted a cat last year, last summer, named Knives. But her name wasn't always Knives. No, it's, it's, so her name was first Earl, and then Gus, and then I left town for two weeks, and I left Kitten to Harper. And I called you, and I said, her name's not Gus anymore. And I said, oh, OK. <laughs> Everything <laughs> else is going OK? Her name is Baby Knives. <laughs> so Harper Forever gave. and always. And you know, all the best names are iterative, but sometimes it takes somebody else to get a name that sticks. And so throughout all of this, um, with Ellen making us think about our friendship and all of that, we were like, hey, neither of us have met that person who introduced us via text before we arrived here in town. So in the Sitka way, we invited this friend over for breakfast this morning. And we met her, finally! <laughs> With her two-year-old child, who she gave birth to when we arrived to town. Yeah, it's a real human. Yeah, so uh, there's been many breakthroughs in friendship in breaking... Ice. Kenley got her water broke. Yeah. And she gave birth. And uh, yeah, two breaking into ourselves, you know, having these experiences, trying new things and meeting new people um, and coming into our own as well. Okay. <laughs>
I love the double stories. Let's hear another clap for these guys. A good reminder for those of us who are a little maybe more settled in our lives, what it's like to move to a new place as a person just starting out. So, a great story. Okay. To remind you, we're at a live storytelling event on the KCAW stage, and the theme again is Breakthrough. And it's time for our next teller, Miriam Taylor. Now, Miriam moved here six months ago from Missouri, and she says if you've watched the Netflix show Ozark, that's where she's from. But you didn't come with Jason Bateman or whatever. Okay. She did not move here for the ocean, but for the mountains. Miriam is a child therapist and has two great dogs she could talk, to, talk about forever, but she's not going to talk about them today. A little bit. Okay. I'm a little nervous. <laughs> um, like Ellen said, I grew up in Lake of the Ozarks, Missouri, which Missouri, if you guys know, is in the middle of America, and Lake of the Ozarks is in the middle of Missouri. So I grew up as far away from the ocean as one could in America. Um, and I felt that. I never liked to swim. I never really liked the water. And I kind of steered clear of it for the most part, even though I grew up in two lakes growing up too. And then I decided to move to Sitka, Alaska. And it didn't occur to me at that time that people moved here for the ocean. I quickly Googled the Sitka and I was like, whoa. This is way better than Missouri. I'm going for the mountains. Um, I wish I had this cool tale of why I don't like water, but there's just something about it that I've never liked. There's no control. You never know what's under your feet. You never know what, when they're coming up to get you, whatever that is. And I was never good at swimming, ever. I mean, I remember at four years old, I was lying on my back at swim lessons, and I was screaming at my mom to let me stop swimming lessons. I won't swim for the rest of my life if you just stop me from doing this lesson. Um, I finally did learn how to swim at the ripe age of seven because my dad threatened me to not hang out with the cool kids at the pool if I didn't learn how to swim. So I was like, okay, I'll learn how to swim, I'll learn how to swim. And I say swim, but like, I was still not comfortable in the water. A few months after I learned how to swim, we took a family trip to Jamaica. My family thought it was a great idea to take their daughter who hated the ocean swimming with stingrays in the ocean. And I was seven, and I just learned how to swim by being threatened to learn how to swim. And so I'm going, and we get in there, and we're on this boat, and I get on my mom's shoulders. I put, a little, I put my pinky toe in there, and I'm like, ooh. Get on my mom's shoulders, and a wave immediately comes over both of us. And I was like, nope. Right back on the boat, and I'm just peering over the side, watching my whole family have this extravagant experience. And there's this photo of my twin sister, Martha, my older sister, Brooke, my mom, my dad, my grandma, and this cool stingray. The sun is shining down on them, and they have this cool picture. And it was hanging up in my house, like my childhood home until I was a teenager of like, hey, but remember when you were just sitting on this boat? As I'm peering over the rail, very content with my decision to not do this. Um, but yeah, like I said, I was, grew up in the middle of America, in the middle of Missouri, the farthest away from an ocean, and I moved to Sitka, Alaska for the mountains, not the ocean. Fast forward to uh, April 2018, and I take a trip to Mexico, and we're there, as, I'm there as a volunteer to rebuild a school 
that was taken out by the earthquake. So it's like 110 degrees. I'm on top of roofs and it's, it's really hot. And I was there for five weeks. And every day the volunteers would be like, Miriam, come get a beer and go swimming at the beach. And I'm like, no thanks. Go up to my bunk, take a shower, sleep in my hammock. For five weeks, that was exactly what I wanted to do every day. And they would tell me these stories about, there's huge waves down there. I was like, no, I don't, I don't want any part of that. I don't even know why I came to Mexico, but this is a good time. But at the same time, I'm not going to the beach. My last day there, I, just, I, I feel myself thinking, hmm, I'm not a, maybe I'll go. And then they ask me, and I don't say no thanks. I say, uh, I guess, I'll go, I'll go, okay, I'll go, okay. Thinking in my head, like, no, you shouldn't go, you shouldn't go. Okay, I'll go with all in the intention to not get in the ocean. Well, it's 100 degrees, and I'm on top of these roofs, and it's my last day there. And so I find myself in the ocean. And we're in the ocean, and I'm not really focusing on the water. There's these cool people around me from all over the world, and we're talking about cool things. And I don't really realize that, like, hey, I'm in the ocean, and I don't feel anxious for the first time in my life. And then all I remember is looking up, and the biggest wave I've ever seen in my life barreling down on my head. If you haven't caught up by now, this is literally my worst nightmare. And so soon after, I get thrashed underwater, and I am in the biggest washing machine on Earth. And every limb is going every which way, and I don't know what to do with my body, and I'm freaking out. My you know, panic is, is ensuing, and then it stops. And you know your body floats up a little bit, and you're like, which way is up? And I swim as fast as I can, as fast as I can, up to the, up to the top, and I start screaming. Screaming bloody murder. And I don't know if any of you have had these experiences of like you don't have control over your thoughts and your body and you're just freaking out. Well, that happens again for the second time. And by the time I come up, the third wave, this Australian girl grabs my hand and she's, she's yelling at me to calm down, which always works. If you just yell at someone to calm down, they're usually going to calm down. And, <laughs> and she said, grab my hand and dive as deep as you can. And I'm like, oh, yeah, okay. I'm thinking, I can't do this. I'm going to die. This is my worst nightmare. I'm going to die today out of my deepest fear. And I try to dive, and everything slows down. And our hands just kind of release. And I start to slowly, my thoughts start to slow down. I start to think of my family. I start to think of how dumb I was for getting in this water today. That I'm about to die in Mexico out of my deepest fear when I could have just taken a nap in my hammock. And I wake up getting CPR on the beach, throwing up water. And it's still hard for me to talk about because for five years, this is in 2018, I didn't talk about it. Um, and there's been a couple instances where I've been around water and it's been really hard to be around water. Um, fast forward, I decided to move to Sitka, Alaska from Missouri. And for the mountains, not the ocean. It didn't really occur to me that the remote island in Alaska was gonna be surrounded by water. But then it started to occur to me when I took my two dogs on the ferry and I was like, Oh, people move here for that. I just really want to hike. I just really want to hike. That's all. I want to get out of Missouri. And so I get to Sitka, Alaska, and I don't really look at the ocean anymore. Like, I look at it, and I recognize it's there, but I don't want to go in it. And then one day, I took a canoe with a friend, and I could feel my tenseness in my body and my back sweating and my heart starting to race. And I was like, oh, yeah, I hate the ocean because I'm really afraid of it. And then I started to change, and 
there'd be instances of me putting my toes in there and my dogs going up to it and getting into it and having fun. And then one day, almost five years to the day, I was standing next to my dog, Maru. And if you know her, she's a spitfire. She's, she's hyper. And we start wa- I start walking into the ocean and I look down at her and she's looking up at me like, are you okay? And I'm like, no, I'm not okay. And I keep walking and I keep walking and I'm pausing and pausing. And I get up to my shoulders and Maru looks at me and I look at her and she starts swimming out to me. And this is before I knew anybody here. And she comes up to me and I hold her in the water. And ever since then, I've gotten in the ocean at least once a week. And so this is a story about a girl from middle, middle of the middle of America that moved to Sitka for the mountains, not the ocean, that is still breaking through on what the ocean means to me. Thank you. I appreciate you telling that story. It's really awesome when people share their fears and their stories that they haven't necessarily shared a lot. Okay, let's get to the next teller. Gotta look at my list here. Okay, our next teller is Brandon Size. There's some interesting ocean and not realizing things that are part of these stories today. Brandon came to Sitka as a cook for the Coast Guard in 1998, and he also came up for the ocean, though he says he didn't know that the Coast Guard really did anything with the ocean when he joined. Now, Brandon loves boating, and he works at the front desk of a local dentist's office, and he says it's his favorite job ever, and I love going to the dentist, and that's where I asked you to tell a story. Thanks, Ellen. So, um, I was a kid in the 90s, and my favorite band was Pearl Jam, and they they had this great performance on MTV Unplugged, and ever since, I've been dreaming of being a rock star, and now I'm sitting on a stool with a microphone, so thank you all for being a part of my daydream today. I appreciate it so much. Thank you. I'll be here all week. I... Uh, I have been daydreaming of a lot of things uh, for all of my life. I, uh, I, re- I remember uh, sitting up on my neighbor's retaining wall as a kid and uh, catching a glimpse of the Pacific Ocean uh, from down in San Diego and, uh, and just like dreaming of a day when we would have a second story so the, the neighbor dogs that I was terrified of wouldn't nip at my hands when I tried to see the ocean. and. Um, it's, it's really great to, to live in a place like this where, you know, I can go fishing this morning and catch some king salmon and see the ocean all I want. And, um, uh, I'm, I'm really been enjoying it. Um, the daydreaming, it goes on. (laughs) It's, uh, it's a lot of days. It's, uh, often about, uh, adventures like seeing the ocean or being on the ocean and sometimes it's about being someone else uh, I remember from that same uh, that same house as a kid seeing the uh, elementary school bus pull away and just picturing myself being one of those boys that was driving off to a different neighborhood somewhere and I would imagine that neighborhood and I would imagine being that boy that's maybe not in trouble for forgetting to clean their room or you know peeing on the seat or um, just not 
quite doing things right. And, um, and that continued on into adulthood. Uh, I would oftentimes find ways to, to escape into my mind. And a lot of that had to do with being a cook, honestly, like, cause we did our own dishes. And when you're like scraping refried beans out of a pan, like what else are you going to do, but dream about something else somewhere else. But, um, or sometimes it's, it's the customers, you know? Um, but I, uh, I, I realized at some point that I was actually having adventures and, um, and this story is kind of about one of those adventures. I had to go over to the island to, to take an assessment. And, um, I am someone that doesn't traditionally get really nervous about tests, um, or evaluations as long as they're like multiple choice or I know the material. I could not study for this particular one though. So I was uh, a little bit apprehensive about it and I was driving over to campus. And as I pull up into campus, I get that like rev thing in the car where I'm like pushing the gas pedal and it's working, but it's not working. And uh, my transmission had gone out. And so kind of partway into the road i stop my car and i get out and i'm like well i gotta get to this it starts at nine or whatever so i uh i, I get moving and i text my lovely wife mary and i'm like hey uh car stopped in the middle of the road and i can't do anything about it so i was kind of hoping that she would uh call a tow truck if she got the message in time but i go in to like try to find this building on this massive campus and like try to find the one little room in there. And fortunately, like the folks at the front desk were pretty helpful. I get down there and I'm, I'm feeling like pretty calm and I sit down and it's an unfamiliar environment and it's not multiple choice. And I start going through this assessment and start answering these questions. And I realized that like, I'm okay. Like the car is probably going to be taken care of. I'm feeling confident. I'm moving faster on the test and the daydream kicks in. <laughs> I start picturing, you know, my boss, at the time worked on campus and I was like, well, you know, I can go see her on the way home. And I know that they have free coffee there so I can grab one of those to go. And like the car will probably already be gone. So I don't have to worry about that. I could just walk home with my coffee, see my boss who I don't usually see cause I don't work on campus. And so all of a sudden I realized that like for at least the last 10 questions that I've answered, I haven't been paying attention at all. And I definitely got the last one wrong. And it's, it's like, it wasn't something that panicked me, but I, I realized that like this daydreaming thing, like it really strongly just grips me at times and I go places and, uh, it kind of reminds me of that lovely movie, the secret life of Walter Mitty. I don't know if you've seen it, but, um, I then I get out of that test and I'm like, no text back from Mary. So I got to go take care of the car. I get the tow truck on the way. Uh, I have missed calls from campus security and I get moving to go home to meet the tow truck at the house. And like, I run into someone that I had worked here with 12 years before that's randomly in town for like a day who I was really fond of chatted with them on the trail, get home to my home in the woods, basically get this car off, get a cool, like electric leaf. If you want to talk about adventures, those things are great. And like, I just felt fulfilled. Like it was a really not rainy day. Some call that sun, but like <laughs> I'm from San Diego, so it was not raining and that was cool. And, um, and 
that that assessment that I took that day was actually to find out if I had ADHD, and I definitely have ADHD. And it, and the the realization that came when I got home was that it's not just the daydreaming. It's uh, there's so much that goes into it, so much emotional dysregulation, so many things that were such a huge deal to me and my soul that people don't care about because it's not a big deal. And but like the the ability to have that like rationalization of like this is where my brain is going and I'm probably going to go with it whether I like it or not was just something that calmed me down and let me see the big picture of the adventure that is my life whether I'm in my backyard or at Biarca. So I was so happy to have that day. Uh, thank you. Thanks, Brandon. That was awesome. Okay, it's time for our last teller of this ad adventure in Sicka Tales Tales, our last breakthrough teller. Here comes Riley Whitson. Riley is a Sitka kid. He loves, he loves to relate to people through stories, and he's also a daydreamer, describing himself often as living in a fantasy world inside his head. Hi, everybody. Uh, so, <clears throat> I grew up here in Sitka uh, with a typical fishing family, uh, but when I was 12 years old, uh, we went on a family vacation to Hawaii and uh, my dad took my older sister and I snorkeling. And unfortunately, during this excursion, uh, he had a heart attack uh, and drowned. So this was obviously a very hard thing for our family. You know, my dad was the sole breadwinner. My mom had to go uh, to raise four children alone. And uh, yeah, it was just a big shaping event for us all. And so, you know, I spent my teenage years carrying around grief everywhere. There was like this specter of uh, death all the time. And uh, so, you know, like a lot of people who have these dramatic events, uh, I turned to drugs for comfort. Not the scary, scary drugs, but like I really was experimenting with hallucinogens a lot. Uh, I found it was a way for me to kind of confront these feelings and emotions that were hard to face. And I got pretty good at it. You know, I did it a lot. Uh, so it was very casual for a while. But, you know, when I was in my mid-20s, uh, I was still very sad all the time. You know, it was always just there. And I went to a friend's theme party. And uh, the theme was very appropriately a Mad Hatter theme party. So I get, got myself a little cocktail. You know, I knew my tolerance at this point and started chatting with friends there, just going to have a silly good time. And a friend of mine offered me some LSD that she said was very weak, that several of them had taken uh, that did not hit them very hard. So I said, sure, why not? And my piece of LSD was not very weak, because uh, if you don't dose it right, some uh, things on a strip can get uh, more than others. So I think I took about seven times the recommended dose. And uh, yeah, a little bit later, I started to really blast off in the woods behind her house. And uh, I was standing there by this tree, and all of a sudden I felt this uh, kind of like a spotlight hit me. And uh, <laughs> I kind of felt this, this familiar feeling of this specter that had been following me, and it was very close. And uh, I kind of just knew that my dad was there with me. Excuse me. 
and uh, that I could speak with him. So I, pardon me, <laughs> took the opportunity to uh, say goodbye and say all the things that I always wanted to. And uh, yeah, it was a shocking big moment. And kind of after that moment passed, I found myself not standing next to a tree in my friend's yard, but I was in an infinite white void with only one thing in this void with me. It was a chalice floating in the air in front of me with a liquid in it that was the color of the night sky. Uh, and I knew that if I took a sip from this, I would know everything. I would know the secrets of life and death and the universe, but I would never, ever come back from that. I would be crazy forever. So I decided not to take a sip and came crashing back into reality. Uh, and let me tell you, I was stark raving mad when I came back. Uh, I was seeing people's faces float off. I was seeing bugs crawl out of the walls. I pictured myself as an egg that was rebirthed in a new form. Uh, and I had to be escorted home very quickly by my wonderful friends. And you know, when I finally came down a couple days later, people were asking me like, hey, you said you had this revelation, what was it? And I could not share it with anybody because it was such a vivid day. It was impossible. So I spent a few years kind of treating that memory as a crime scene. Like I would go to her house and I would try to figure out where I was, when I was, and it took me a long time to figure out this story that I'm able to tell you now. But that day was probably the most important day of my life because I was able to let go of all of that, <laughs> excuse me, pain and grief and move on from this thing that had always been with me, you know? Like, before that I was just like a husk of a human. And yeah, I was just able to finally move on and accept that there is so much more to life than that. So, uh, yeah, this is the first time I've really told anyone this full story because it, <laughs> it took a while to even figure out how to say it coherently. So, uh, yeah, thanks for listening. And, um, yeah, healing sometimes just comes in very surprising ways. So, thanks a lot, everyone. Now, when someone says they have a story, you're not really sure where they're going to take you. So thank you for sharing that. And thanks, too, that you didn't take a sip of, from that chalice. Because we get to hear the story. And it just does remind me that we really change when we listen to each other. Just, you know, what, you know they say what the world needs now is love, sweet love, or whatever. What's the song? I think it's listening. And uh, thanks again. So I want to thank all the tellers today. Jamie, Marlene, Harper, Jason, Miriam, Brandon. I hope I didn't leave anybody out. I also want to say thanks to the Sitka Daily Sentinel, the Sitka Soup, and Raiden Radio for helping us get the word out in all our events. To Shannon for timing. To Leon, who's taking pictures. For Brian, wherever you are, who does all the engineering and makes so much happen. To Dave Emeritt. And our great appreciation to Dixon and all the crew of PorchFest and the Greater Sitka Arts Council. What do you think about uh, doing Sitka Tales Tales at PorchFest? (laughs) 
I want to also today give a shout out to Sika Salmon Shares because we're not very good at fundraising at Art Change, which is the mother organization for Sika Tells Tales. And the other day, I had an email with some money donated to our poor nonprofit, and it said to quote to, to Art Change for um, your work that promotes community well-being and resilience in Sitka. So again, thank you.